Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast von The Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and I'm once again joined by Stefan Biankowski. And Stefan, um, we chatted yesterday, did our first Twitter ever Twitter space um, on using the Gegenpressing Twitter channel. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was a very different experience, and uh, especially right after the game, right after the Klassica. And of course, we're going to recap the Klassica again today now that we've actually slept over it. But it was really a really good way to just let off steam post-game reaction, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great fun. Um, you know, it's it, it wasn't perhaps as composed as a podcast, um, but it seemed like a really cool way to just kind of kind of soak up the real kind of emotions after the game. Uh, we had a lot of people tune in, had some people asking questions, giving their thoughts. Um, and it's always fun just kind of chatting to listeners too. So if you do follow us on Twitter, do keep an eye on that. I think we're going to try and do it more often. Can't mm -hmm. really make any promises. I did actually have someone DM me asking me if we'd be doing it regularly. Um, I can't say for certain. I don't think <laughs> I can't make any promises every weekend, but... I think it's something we'll try to do whenever we, we have time at the weekend and something big's happened. Yeah, I think it's both you and I have jobs, right? Um, that's the thing. Like we have like when on a weekend in particular, when we, we're busy writing about football and like have match reports and have all sorts of stuff to deal with. So it's like it's time constraints because I know that, for example, the Classica was doing your shift, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, we had to wait a couple hours to do, actually do it. And like sometimes like one of us will... Like, or to play into you so we have like meetings and all that sort of stuff that you know the daily stuff so it's it's really hard to say okay we're well, doing this once a week now <laughs> it's, it's a hard i think that's a hard promise to keep um but i really like it i think it's a really good way to engage to you the listener um and it was really great to hear from some of you guys and Yeah, I think it's something that I, I yes, I think we want to do more. And also, you know what? If like if you ever want to reach out, um, I should probably just you know open the DMs on on the Gig Pressing Twitter account. Just DM us with a question. I'm be happy to read the question on on the show and uh, try to answer it if we can. Um, it's not always possible because you know um, we're not all knowing. But um, if we can, then we will try to answer it. Um, we had some, you know, talking about the game yesterday. Stefan, now that you've slept a night on it, and I know we've seen all the reactions, and there was lots of reactions, uh, lots of reactions on Jude Bellingham's comments, uh, Haaland's comments. Watzke has said a few things. Zork has said a few things. And we want to dive into all of that. But now that you've slept a night over it, how do you feel about the game, the refereeing decision, And how are you feeling about Mats Hummels defending now that you had 24 <laughs> hours to digest it? <laughs> I don't think I needed 24 hours to digest Mats Hummels' defending because it's how I, I felt about so. Mats Hummels defending for about the last 12 months or so, maybe. Um, 
Look, I'll put it this way. I was actually on Sky Sports News this morning, uh, and I was I was actually on to talk about Ralph Ragnick, but they had the extra bit on the end of my interview to talk about their classicer. And the one thing they wanted to talk about was Jude Bellingham's comments. Um, and I think, I mean, we kind of talked, touched on this in the, in the Twitter spaces, but that entire, like, outburst from him has just stolen all of the oxygen in the room. Um, there's no discussion right now. I mean, I know Karl-Heinz Rummenigge made a dig about homos. I think he was maybe in the Sky Studio at the time uh, after the game. But, you know, there hasn't been any huge inquest into how to fix Dortmund's defence. Um there hasn't been any question marks over Marco Rosa as the head coach, um, which I'm actually quite surprised at. But anyway, um, you know, there's nothing like that. All mm. we're talking about right now is Jude Bellingham, maybe a bit of Erling Haaland. Um, you know, we were just talking earlier on there about how, um, whether, you know, how, how much kind of trouble Bellingham could be in and how much legal trouble he could be in. And like one of the top stories on Kicker's website right now, is Michael Zock, who is the Dortmund sporting director, discussing whether you know Bellingham would be uh, safe under freedom of expression laws in Germany? This is this is how ridiculous we're getting over all this, um, mm. and it's been a huge on goal for the for the Bundesliga and the German FA because whether or not you want to argue about what Bellingham said was true or whether he should have said it. Um, the Bundesliga put itself in a situation by appointing that referee who will always have that previous um, debacle hanging over his shoulders. And, you know, it's it's a real shame that this is kind of the main thing that everyone's talking about after this game because it was on its own a fantastic game. Um, ruined by refereeing decisions, in my opinion, but still a fantastic game. A good advert for the Bundesliga because I thought... I thought Dortmund had Bayern on the ropes a number of times in that game. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just been absolute mayhem. And then in typical Gladbach fashion, Gladbach has shown up today and said, you know what, we're going to steal some of that limelight. And we're, <laughs> and we're going to make sure we have the worst performance in the Bundesliga. We're going to talk about that because that game is going on. We both have it on our respective screens um, on the side. It's 6-0 at halftime. And uh, we'll have to talk about another coaching change. And I think this is going to be yet another coaching change on top of the one that we have to talk about. Um, the Dortmund game. I think... Mm. I think it's still... So I do this thing after big games. I always have a talk i always phone my dad in munich and um talk with him about it all and and i i i came to the conclusion i already i was pretty much already there yesterday and i think i wrote as much in forbes that the i feel the game was ruined by refereeing decisions but i don't think dortmund lost the game because of refereeing decisions and let me elaborate while i think that's why I, is an abysmal referee and he showed it yesterday and the whole scandal in 2005 aside and with some soul searching and i thought about this quote quite some time i think if you were ever involved in a match fixing scandal in professional football and found guilty of it and suspended as a result there should be no way back for you to be, become a referee 
but also to be getting climb up as high in the career ladder as he has. And he has. He's a FIFA referee. This is not only him climbing up all the way to the top within the DFB, but also within UEFA and FIFA. And I don't know what that tells us about refereeing in general or the state of refereeing in the game, not just in Germany, but period internationally as well. And that I think it's something that a lot of people have to start thinking about. And I think that's why maybe the Bellingham comments are actually good. And the DFB's reaction is so typical because it is someone from the DFB that has launched these legal proceedings that I don't think will go anywhere because all Bellingham said was stated a fact. He didn't say the game was fixed. He said that the referee has been previously been under investigation and found guilty of match fixing. Fact. It's a factual information. Manuel Grefe said the same thing on television. And by the way, there was criminal investigations launched against Manuel Grefe, the, right, one of the former best referees in German football as well, for saying something like that on ZDF. For just stating a fact. And I think the DFB's reaction, you know, uh, in German you say, hit dogs bark, right? Mm. That's exactly what's going on here. I think... The day reaction is very telling. And I think this is where I am with the refereeing. The refereeing was abysmal. It was it was poor. At, at the best of it, it was poor. It was poor refereeing because it was no clear line. The Royce foul was a penalty. I still think Hummel's handball was a penalty too. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think that's an okay decision. But that decision is irrelevant if he gives previously gives a penalty for what what happened to Royce because that situation doesn't happen if Royce previously gets a penalty and that sucked out the air out of the game. And if you are a neutral watcher, if you're an American, you see Bayern Munich winning 10 titles in a row and you see the biggest game in the league being run by a referee in this way, that ruins your product. And I think this is maybe a good wake-up call for people in the DFL and the DFB and Bellingham's Bellingham, like I think it's good that he said it, first of all. But I also think Dortmund were you can't have Mats Hummel running around like a headless chicken for 90 minutes and expect to beat Bayern Munich. You know, that's also that's also true. You know, two things can be true, and this is one of those things that is true. Mats Hummels gifted them two and a half goals. That's the bottom line. And so, like, you can't say it's great for Dortmund to have this distraction. But the truth is, I think, I think at best they would have deserved the draw, Stefan. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and and this is kind of the main issue. And this is something that we have to be careful with. And I think this is something that Dortmund have to be careful with going forward. They can't just kind of let this kind of media hurricane blow through town and then just get on with the rest of the league. They have to kind of take stock of what actually happened in this game because leading up to it, they had the advantage. Mm-hmm. Bayern were missing Joshua Kimmich. They were missing... Uh, Leon Goretzka wasn't uh, wasn't deemed fit. Uh, he, he did start, but he certainly wasn't 100%. Um, you know, there's question marks over where Serge Gnabry would be able to play. Uh, that back line was in all sorts of trouble. Um, Dorman had Bayern exactly where they wanted them. They could not have asked for a better list of circumstances. And not to mention the fact that, miraculously, Marco Rosa had a number of key players bounce back from uh, injury. Um, Gallero, uh, Bellingham uh, bounced back from an injury. 
Erling Haaland two or three weeks earlier than planned. If, you know, the stars really aligned for Dortmund in this game. And again, the whole thing falls apart because of that defence. Mm. Um, at one point, I think I tweeted this as well. At one point, Akanji passed the ball um, to, oh, I don't even know who it was on the right. It, it might have been Brandt. And he went for the overlap run. He, he just kept running down the wing. And, yeah. you know, if I if I was Marco Rosa, I'd be pulling my hair out at that point. This is a team that have struggled to defend at all this season. We're talking every single week here. There's some calamity. And in their class, in against Bayern Munich, you've got your centre-back making overlapping runs on the right wing. Who's... Yeah. What is going on here? I mean, I mean, obviously, Akanji is not really a fault for much of what happened in that game, but it, it was such a good example of just like there's just there's something going on there. There's just a lack of training or there's a lack of instructions um, overall. But also, you know, we're obviously watching a very quick demise of Matsu Hummels here. We've talked on the podcast in the last couple of weeks about whether he might be able to bounce back after the international and not the international break, the winter break, if he's able yeah. to kind of regain his fitness. Um, he might be able to negate, you know, obviously the lack of pace that he has in the game. Um, he may be able to overcome some injury, uh, some error, the error proneness in his game. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But, you know, I think it's important that we do talk about Bellingham. I think it's important that we do talk about the referee and those refereeing decisions. But I totally agree with you. Let's not sit here and pretend that yeah, Dortmund, Dortmund were were robbed and were outstanding throughout that game because they shot themselves in the foot at least twice. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually and it's, more and, often maybe they just got away with a few. Yeah, exactly. And it's not as if these were issues that just sprung up out of thin air in this game. These are issues that have dogged this team throughout the whole season. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it, it's it's interesting that Marco Rosa's managed and this side have managed to just about get through on it, but. Um, the thing is, well, like if you want to kind of pull back from Dortmund in general as well, um, it's made my final point on this. But obviously, when you take into account how terrible they've been in the Champions League, mm. um, the one kind of good thing Rosa's had going for him and this Dortmund team in general have had going from this season is that they've managed to cling on in games in the Bundesliga. And if that suddenly starts to fall apart, which often happens in games, whenever Bayern do come up against a rival and they do end up beating them, and it's a hugely ferocious 90 minutes of football the the other team do tend to look jaded for the next two or three games and if Dortmund do go on and stumble in these next two or three games before the winter break I think things could get nasty really quickly there uh, because this kind of this league campaign and their form in the league was kind of the last thing not the last thing there's obviously still the Pokal unless I'm mistaken Um, Mm -hmm. but um, you know this was the main thing that was kind of defending them against that atrocious record in Europe and if it and if that starts to fall apart, if they don't continue winning, uh, I think things can get really nasty really quickly over the winter break. You know who's kind of been rescuing them quite a bit, and is um, Kobel. Such yeah. a great great signing. It's probably one of the best signings that they've made in a long time. Because where would they be without him? And I counted three big arrows no actually four big arrows by Mats Hummels because I do think that he makes a meal out of that handball um you can argue whether you should give it or not but he gets it's it's telling that it's him right um there was a situation where he chested tried to chest the ball uh I think it was to 
to Guerrero and it ends up with Müller and it ends into a counterattack and almost another Bayern goal, right? And this was a 2-1. Um, there was a situation and I don't want to just hammer here on Hummels because Emre Can also, um, when Kobel played a short ball from back, Emre Can opted to play it across the pitch and it almost ended up in, for, for Kingsley Coman to score. So... There was at least two, just out of top of my head, two additional scenes where Bayern should have scored from defensive errors. That's on top of the three that Dortmund did give away. So, you know, with that amount of errors, if Bayern Munich are in top form and they're not, that's five, six goals. Right. And you get the sort of result that Dortmund you know, Dortmund got against Ajax in that game in Amsterdam. Um, and I think that is something that they need to look at. I think for Dortmund, honestly, the, the until the winter break, they just need to get results. doesn't matter how. I, I think that's that's just the priority for this club at the moment, to just get results, um, keep the gap to form. And I think Bayern will actually stumble before the winter break. Um, you heard it here first, and maybe to one point, that gap could point narrow again to one point. And then they need to sit down over the winter, and it's going to be a longer winter break in Germany, right? And um, there needs to be work done. And I think I'm still, actually, the more I watch Hummels, the more I think it's a, it's a form and fitness issue. Because certain things that he does, he's too late. His decision-making isn't quite there. That's a player struggling fitness-wise, right? Mm. So... And that's when when they make mistakes. And I think that is something, I think you need to have a hard sit down with him and say, we need to work on your form. And additionally, we will need to bring someone in to replace you in the medium term. Yeah, I think I think you make a really good point about Dortmund having to really just make sure they crack on in the league this season or for the rest of the year, because there, there are positives they can take from this game. There are positives, the fact that they know how to really hurt Dortmund. Uh, well, they know it's hard Dortmund, of course, because they do all the time. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one knows how to hurt Dortmund quite like Mats Hummels right now. Um, but they know how to hurt. They, they know how to hurt Bayern. They have the players to hurt Bayern. Um, you know, Bellingham and Haaland's comments after the game took away from the fact that both of them walked through this game. I thought Marco yeah. Royce was good. I thought Julian Brandt possibly had his best game in years. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously going into like the next Der Klasker or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, in the second half of the season, if Dortmund can get a defence sorted, they can take a lot of confidence from this game saying, look, if we can just defend, um, we've got the guys who can cause problems. We're in for a chance here. So as long as they keep within yeah. arm's distance of Bayern going forward, uh, they can still hurt them in one-on-one games. And I think that's that's where they are at right now. Um, they have their, their attack is, is sorted. There's no problems for them scoring goals. Mark Royce, uh, even in the absence of absence of Haaland, has carried this team. And you're going to get Gio Reyna back at some point too. Don't forget that, right? And uh, Tork Hazard is going to be back. And, um, you know, Marlon is looking increasingly better. Haaland, if he stays fit, like, that's not an issue here. Um, that's absolutely not the issue here. Like, they have to work on that defense. And, I don't know who you bring in at this stage to, to sort that. I, I don't think Emre Can is the solution. I think Mats Hummels needs a backup. Akanji needs a backup. Um, you probably need someone actually 
to make one of those two the backup, to be quite frank. And I think this is this is probably the number one list on the sh- on the shopping list if there is one for the winter is to bring in an, a proper defender, mm. just someone who can defend, like yeah. literally anyone, anyone who can like walk with two legs and can defend will do. <laughs> Like, I, that's 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 my conclusion from this game and I, I stick with it I think that there is it's going to be so much talk for the weeks to come about the refereeing and I actually think there needs to be a long hard look at refereeing decisions and who referees in German football mm-hmm. like the fact that the Germany's best referee is currently in a TV studio because of an arbitrary age um age rule right mm-hmm. says everything you need to know about the state of german refereeing like manuel grafe shouldn't be in zdf slamming zweier mm-hmm. he should be on the field refereeing those games mm-hmm. that's like i that's what i think um you know there's a couple of other referees that are excellent um who i think are more qualified uh, I think Eitekin is from is from Munich, so he doesn't qualify. It didn't wouldn't have qualified for this game, right? But he's, for example, a guy who I who I highly rate, and yeah, you know, and this, that's one of those things. And um, I think the DFB needs to take before going after an eighteen year old for saying the truth. They should maybe look in the mirror and say, like, why is an eighteen year old who has the attention of all of the English speaking media on him? saying something like that that this is so very damaging to our product yes but it's damaging to the product because of something that we've decided a long time ago yeah absolutely right talking about damaging to the product red bull have to find a new head coach they do um <laughs> did you like that segue I did like that segue. way. It's and it's a good time because we think we spent twenty minutes on the classica. That's probably enough. <laughs> we we could have uh, been this whole episode on this podcast, and we almost did. When we would have if yeah. Jesse was still in charge, uh, Jesse Marsh, and he's not. Um, I think the writing was on the wall. It has been for a while. Um, I, I spoke about it last week, right, on this show, Stefan and. The source that I got it from is very good. It's a very good source, um, obviously, because it turned out to be true. And I was told with great conviction that if he doesn't win every game in the league, he's done. And the first hurdle he fell and Leipzig acted. And I think they had to. Uh, point average of 1.32 points per game in, in the Bundesliga. That's the lowest in RB Leipzig history. It's the first time in RB Leipzig history that they are on a double-digit uh, spot in the Bundesliga, um, you know, outside of the top 10. The way they've been playing, it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked at all. And, you know, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of talk especially in American media. It's like, oh, they lost their best defender. And, you know, like... Like Bayern Munich stole Sabitzer. It's like Sabitzer has a shadow of himself and was for most of last year as well. Mm. Upamecano, um, talking about defensive issues, we didn't even touch on Bayern, but they had some as well. Mm. And Leipzig spent, I think, close to 200 million euros in new players, mm. including getting two of the best talented defenders in the world, in Guardiol and Sima Khan, who haven't been integrated at all. 
Mm-hmm. They signed Andre Silva, a striker who usually would go abroad after the like after the year that he had with Frankfurt, and he hasn't been clicking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you look at the guys, Soboslai, Omo, all those players. Like the chemistry isn't there. Yeah. It's not at all. And yeah, you can say they lost Ubermecano and Nagelsmann, but that squad. Exactly. It's a top two squad. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you, and that's kind of the main thing that's kind of, I, I was trying to think of like ways to just kind of illustrate how poor Leipzig have been this season. Uh, and obviously, you can just look at the table and that explains it itself. But if you just kind of look through the list of players and how much they've contributed in the league so far, uh, I think it really does paint a terrible picture of how Marsh has just struggled to get anything out of these players. Um, like for example, Andre Silva six goals and assists in fourteen games. Shabaslai three goal uh, seven in thirteen. Uh, Polson five and ten. Forsberg four and fourteen. Um, Broby hasn't even got going. Danny Olmo yeah. hasn't even got going. I mean, okay, sure, almost maybe been injured. There's talk of him already wanting to push for a move because a lot of. Um, discussions about maybe Barcelona wanting him. I've no idea how they afford him, but apparently he's not too happy. Um, you know, and that's before we even get talking about the defence, which has just been a shambles as well. Um, and that's not just because Upamecano has left. It's not because Konati's left, who, you know, obviously played very little last season anyway. Um, so it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Marsh came in. He wasn't able to get these players doing what he wanted them to do. Uh, and he's been, and he's been, well, technical term is they they agreed to mutually terminate mm-hmm. his contract, but you know he lost his job, um, and you know I think he'll have to work really hard to kind of rebuild his reputation in the Bundesliga after this because I think the really most damaging thing here is that he was tasked with replacing a superstar head coach uh, in Julian Nagelsmann, who I think if I'm not mistaken, he's he's literally the most expensive head coach in the history of European football when Bayern yeah. Bayern signed him this year. Um, and these players just did not do what he wanted them to do. Uh, I really don't think there's any excuse in terms of the, the players he had available to him. Um, the only one that you could maybe argue who's actually done quite well is obviously Nkunku, who's having a great season. Um, but whether that's just because Nkunku is fantastic in general uh, and has just kind of got on with it himself, and he's obviously at times can be quite an individual player, um, so he's probably quite... Um, adaptable regardless of how the team's playing itself so you know we, we last week I think it was or maybe the week before we talked about this and the kind of run up to him getting sacked and I, I, my, my main question Mark is whether um, you know Leipzig go back to that Red Bull Academy and scoop up the next Jesse Marsh and hope that he works or do they go out and get someone else uh, I have a sneaky suspicion Tedesco might be in the conversation. Um, that's just my hunch from speaking to some people, which would be interesting. I don't know. Maybe he, he still has a decent record in German football. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he could maybe attempt him. Roger Schmidt's obviously one as well. I would really like them to try and just go out and get like a 10 hag. I'm not even sure if they... Mm-hmm. If, 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 I'm, I'm really not sure if they can, but... Um, I really think that you know they're a club with means. They've spent more money than anyone else in German football in the last five years, except Bayern Munich. Um, I know they kind of 
I know they kind of pride themselves on buying youthful players who are quite cheap and then they sell them on, fair enough. But they have money. They have the money to buy and pay the best managers in the world. Yeah. Um, and if Leipzig are serious about this, and I think they are serious. I mean, I know everyone says, you know, you, you, you can criticize them all you want for being, you know, a, a faceless organization that just exists to sell Red Bull cans. But when you look at Red Bull's other sporting organizations around the world of sport, and in particular the F one team, that's that's not an organization that's just there to make up, make up the numbers. I don't think RB Leipzig are there to make up the numbers. No. I think they are serious about winning things. So I think they now have to really put their money where their mouth is um, and go out and get a real proper head coach with credentials to really scare Dortmund and Bayern because if they're just going to scoop up another Salzburg head coach, then uh, he might do well, but is he really is, is, is he actually going to take them to the next level or is he just going to spend mm. the next two years taking them to where... Julian Nagelsmann might have had them, you know. Um, mm. I think something drastic has to happen here if they do want to make a few jumps up the ladder. Eric Ten Hag would be interesting because they have kind of moved away and um, Oliver Mintzlaff kind of spoke about that today, right? And that they've kind of moved away from the traditional Red Bull football that they play in Salzburg, and it's gotten under Nagelsmann, it's a lot more possession-based. There's a bit of a marriage now between the possession-based football and the, the counter-pressing that they play in, in Leipzig or traditionally played in, in the Red Bull system. And it was one of the biggest struggles, I think, for Marsh to almost like try to take the squad a step back from what they were used to. And you know, reteach them, them these skills that obviously this team no longer required because they're now the best team 90% of the time when they play a match, they're the better team on the field based on talent. So you don't need to play deep and counter-pressing football. You need to have the ball. Mm. And Nagelsmann had them there last year. And I think that's maybe when you look at when you look at what they're going to do next. Eric Ten Hag would be a logical, you know, maybe previously... Not so much because it, it's a very it's a bit of a different style. But now you could say like, yeah, that actually would make sense. And I can see them go, okay, like fine, let's spend 10 million euros on a head coach, whatever. I can see them do that. And it also lines up with another name that has been kind of out of left field. And I actually that's why I hope it's true. Cause we kind of were jokingly saying, um, on last week's show, or oh, we hope we, they don't just recycle a Bundesliga head coach because that's A, boring, also not very innovative, and I don't think it's actually going to give them success, mm-hmm. which is why I have my doubts about Tedesco, although it wouldn't shock me if they do that. Maybe as an interim, until they can get the guy that they actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ruben Amorim from Sporting yeah. has been floating around pretty seriously, um, very seriously, and that's a huge out of you know nowhere name. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge expert in Portuguese football. I have a friend who's a huge expert in Portuguese football who, if this happens, is going to come on the show and tell us all about Amorim. But I have <laughs> been able to talk to him. And um and I've seen, of course, what he's done in the Champions League, you know, sporting qualifying for the next round in what seems like forever, for the first time in like what seems like forever. He's done a very good job there. He's very young, and it's just such a different cultural approach 
And so I just love it because of that. And I think that'd be interesting. But yeah, Tedesco, um, you know, Stefan, and I don't know how you feel about that, but that would be the, I think would be the sort of a sign, like sort of appointment where they say, yeah, until the end of the year, until we can actually get a big name. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the interesting thing as well, and I was, um, I was having this discussion with someone actually on Twitter when um, this is actually off the back of the Ballon d'Or discussion and what, and how you know Messi winning it kind of shows how people feel about German football. Yeah, no idea how I got onto this topic, but we're actually talking about German football's reputation with head coaches and. I don't know. I feel like if you actually look at the current crop of head coaches in the Bundesliga right now, I don't actually think it's that impressive. Uh, I've no. got to be honest with you. Uh, I think there are a lot of decent ones. Um, there are some who really could go on to become some great coaches. Maybe Bo Svensson's the one that stands out to me there. Marco Rosa might go on to be a great uh, success at Dortmund. But um, if the Bundesliga is kind of does have a reputation for being this kind of melting pot where people... Uh, where where, where, where the, the the head coach of tomorrow are developed, and I can understand why, obviously, because of who have who has come and gone. But I don't think that's the case right now. Um, I really don't think uh, your Adi Hooters, your Glasners, um, you know, whoever else, a whole list of them. Um, I'm 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 just not convinced that these guys are all going to on are going to become the next Jurgen Klopp's and Thomas Tuchel's mm-hmm. uh, or or Julian Nagelsmann's at that rate as well. So. You know, yeah. and that obviously makes things uh, tricky for RB Leipzig because if they were to go down a Bayern or Dortmund route and just basically scoop up a Dortmund, uh, scoop up a Gladbach or Frankfurt or whoever, whoever else head coach is doing quite well, it's actually quite hard to point the finger at any head coach in the Bundesliga right now who's doing well and is on the up and is a is a young guy who can only get better and better. Um, unless maybe they do go for Svensson, but we're talking about a guy there who's only what one year, two years record in the German football right now. At a top level as a head coach, so um, my if 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 I if I if I was uh, in charge of RB Leipzig and I had all the money in the world, I would go get someone like Valverde. I I, I just you know I I just I know yeah. he's got absolutely nothing to do with German football, and maybe it's a terrible idea, but you know I'm, I'm still kind of shocked that no one's kind of picked him up after he left. He was kind of unceremoniously chucked out of Barcelona for in in the midst of winning their third consecutive league title. Um, he was linked with Man United. I thought that would have been an incredibly smart move from Man United, which is why it didn't happen. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if German football could entice him because I think he's a great coach. And I just don't buy this nonsense that you have to be a German-speaking German yeah. football fan to run a, head, a Bundesliga club these days. Someone needs to break that rule, you know, of saying you need a German-speaking coach in order to be successful. Um, and I think that idiotic rule is is kind of set by Bayern Munich because they tried with foreign coaches um first time they did it with a big name foreign coach was of course Trapattoni 94 95 um who then after one year left and was replaced by Otto Rehagel only to then actually go back to Italy to learn German and come back and actually be quite successful right and actually left a pretty big footprint on German football something that a lot of people underestimate um, so that was the first time they tried it, but all the way back to 94, 95, there is this idea that you have to speak German in order to be successful in German football. And 94, 95 was a very different time than it is today. I mean, you speak to your average Bundesliga player now, and most of them speak English. 
Um, and the rest of them speak French or Spanish. Or Spanish or Portuguese <laughs> or you name it, right? And like, like these dressing rooms are very multicultural. And um, so this idea, I think it goes back to that. And then, of course, Bayern tried it again with Pep Guardiola. And I think Pep Guardiola was successful hmm. at Bayern Munich. Um, he was not as successful as your Pinkus. But that's hard. It's really hard to be successful as your Pinkus was, right? It's a tough act to follow. And, um, of course, Flick also did it with the triple. But, um, you know, you get my point. And so then Carlo Ancelotti came in and he didn't speak German well either. But Carlo Ancelotti didn't fail at Bayern Munich because he didn't speak German. It was a lot of other things that, you know, ended up him being a failure. The same reasons why he stumbled at every other club since then, uh, excluding Real Madrid, which I think is just run very differently. Which, you know, um, is why Zidane, I think, was successful at Real and probably wouldn't be successful anywhere else. So, you know, you get my point. So I think Bayern Munich kind of set that trend that you have to be having a German-speaking coach in order to be successful. So all these other Bundesliga teams have gone and gotten all these German-speaking coaches from from close by, Austria and Switzerland and sometimes the Netherlands. And um, totally forgetting that when I was a kid growing up, a lot of our head coaches in German football were actually from former Yugoslavia. And that's where in the 90s, the, the, a lot of the football trend was actually established. The way we played German football was actually often set by coaches from what is now former Yugoslavia, right? Mm. And they didn't speak German. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Anyone who's ever listened to an interview with Stepanovic um, or Ristich and all these guys, like... The German was abysmal and it worked. Like even my dad, when he grew up in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of Eastern European head coaches in German football and it worked. It was fine. Mm. And I, I almost want one of the big clubs to say, this is nonsense. Let's break it. Let's break that rule and bring in a foreigner because uh, the Premier League did it. They brought in all these foreign coaches and it's reset. It's, it's revolutionized coaching in that, in that league. And yeah. I think German coaches are some of the best in the world. And there's no, there's a reason why all the top, like some of the biggest teams, like three out of the four top teams in, in England are coached by Germans now, right? But I think there needs to be a culture change. Bring in someone like Amorim. Hmm. Try it. Or Valverde. Sure. I, I, love, I would love that, Stefan, because I think it would actually bring in something new, something that German football can learn from. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot that the Premier League does wrong, and I think there's a lot that the Premier League does that the Bundesliga should stay away or stay away from. But one thing it does very well is it spends the money it has getting the best people in the world to do the job. Mm -hmm. And the Premier League hasn't become the best league in the world, or the most competitive league, or whatever you want—not the hardest league, whatever you want to call it—by um, signing the best players in the world. Uh, those players stayed at Barcelona, they stayed at Real Madrid, they stayed at PSG. Um, they signed the best managers in the world and that's how they've gone on to win Champions Leagues that's how they've gone on to create these huge clubs yeah. with remarkable talent and uh, type of football that only Bayern Munich can really rival from Germany um, Manchester City don't really have any of the best players in the world they may have 6 or 7 of the best 20 or 30 so don't get me wrong they obviously spend a huge amount of money but um, same with Chelsea, same with Liverpool in fact, Liverpool have very few of the most expensive players in the world, but they have Jurgen Klopp. Um, 
And while the Bundesliga may never be able to compete with the Premier League for those managers, it can certainly be more proactive in scouting out those managers. If the league does, and it does a good job of scouting players, I don't understand why it turns its nose up at foreign coaches so often. Um, because it would help a lot of the co- it would help a lot of the clubs in this league, and RB Leipzig are the first example of this. But maybe Borussia Mönchengladbach might be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would make that transition. Yeah, um, you know who was a really good manager, Christian Streich. <laughs> I was going to say like he kind of contradicts everything we've just said in the last ten minutes. He's a very good manager, and he's also very very nice. You know why he's nice. Um, we were recording this Sunday after uh, Sunday morning, my time, Sunday afternoon, your time. And um, while we were recording this, both of us have the Gladbach-Freiburg game on. It was 6-0 at halftime. Um, first of all, Freiburg, fantastic. They're, they're top four club this year. And I think they could. there's a good chance that they might end up there because of everyone around them and what they're doing. But some of the players that they have as well, Schlotterbeck, Speaking of proper defenders, Stefan, there's one. Mm-hmm. Um, Schade has been a revelation. He's now the fastest player in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, just such a fantastic talent. And this is in a country who apparently doesn't have talents anymore. Um, so that's absolute nonsense. Uh, Streich has been just amazing. But I think just like Zidane and Schlotti only would ever work at Real Madrid, I think he would only work in Freiburg as well. <laughs> um, so... Like, why would he leave? Um, he can basically rebuild this team in his whatever he wants to do in his fashion, and he can bike to work and all that sort of stuff. Um, I would love to see him at a different club. I don't think it's ever going to happen. So, he's an excellent coach and he's done excellent work for close to a decade now. Um, yeah, just amazing. But Adi Hütter, I think he's being spared in the second half by Freiburg because Christian Streich is also a really nice guy and he's probably said to his players, look, 6-0 is enough. And he he hacked some of these guys, some of the Gladbach players at halftime almost apologetically. Mm. Stefan, this is the kind of guy he is. So I think this would have probably been double digits by now um, if Freiburg would have actually played full throttle. And at times they do, they break forward and they look great. It's <laughs> just amazing football. In fact, they might just score their 17 and all. Let's see. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but Hütter must be done now, right? Yeah. I mean, I, no I, way he survives this. Yeah, and it's kind of a similar thing to Jesse Marsh at RB Leipzig where you've got a decent squad there and he just hasn't seemed to get it working. I do partially feel kind of sorry for Hütter in the sense, and this might keep his job. Um, so if he hasn't been sacked by the time you listen to this, um, you know, I'm the smart one here. <laughs> but um, only I'm only saying that because there are kind of mitigating circumstances for Gladbach this season in the sense that you know Marcus Turam has hardly got going this season because of a knee injury. Florian Neuhaus has only started maybe like five or six games in the Bundesliga. But there's all sorts of stuff going on with this team that really makes it a concern. I mean, you've got the whole thing with Dennis Zachariah, whose contract's yeah. up. Same with Matthias Ginter. Um you know, sporting directors come out and said, you know, we basically, we, they can't, they basically can't offer them the kind of contracts that they should get because the club have struggled from coronavirus so much. So mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of worrying thing is, and this is maybe what I said about Marsh a couple of weeks ago, if you, well, maybe it's probably very different from Leipzig because Leipzig have so much depth, but this Gladbach team needs a lot of work. Uh, and it looks like of the maybe four or five top players it's got, 
you're probably looking at least two or three of them leaving in the summer, if not sooner. Um, and you know, and 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 obviously, Gladbach are a very compassionate club. They're a very well run club. They're not a club that um, jump into decisions. Um, so there's a good chance that they'll probably take all of that into account. But based on the fact of you know how they got absolutely horsed in the derby last weekend, and then mm. this result against Freiburg here, it seems to suggest something deeper. Um, this squad yeah. just are not working. I think it's almost quite you know it's quite interesting that the best results have actually come against Bayern Munich this season. And the reason I think that's the case is because I know and, and, and these things often happen when teams are having really bad seasons and they put in a great performance against the Giants. It. It's usually got very little to do with the head coach. Um, these 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 players usually can get themselves up for these games because they're playing against Bayern Munich. They want to give them a bloody nose. They want to prove themselves against the best. Um, and if you take those results out of it, then it's been a really poor season for Gladbach. Um, but it really comes down to what the club thinks where where this this team should be and where this team's actually going. Because if 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 they do lose Zachariah, if they do lose Ginter. If Neuhaus has decided that he wants to leave and he's not really putting in a shift this season and he's determined to move to Liverpool or Bayern or whatever else in summer, mm. you do wonder if the club's sitting there thinking, well, what would be the point in sacking Adi Hooter and bringing someone else in? And on day one, we have to drop all these problems on his desk. Um, so I wonder, I do wonder if Gladbach will just kind of hold on to the winter break and maybe just try and recoup. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time everyone's listening to this podcast, Hooter's gone. <laughs> It'd be hard. For, I can't imagine 10 goals in two games. And it should be more in, in this game. I think Freiburg are just being nice. Um, you know, there's several attacks where they kind of, you know, jumped on the, and they, they pulled the handbrake and said like, no, you know, this is the sort of game that you can lose double digits. And as good as Freiburg have been, hey, I have lots of time for Freiburg. It's just a fantastic, best probably with the, considering the resources that they have, probably the best run team in Germany, hmm. uh, best best run club in Germany for sure. Um, but yeah, this this is unacceptable. And I, I wonder too, you know, like Hütter had such a great situation in Frankfurt and to leave that in the fashion that he did, um, costing Frankfurt the Champions League spot last year because of this decision that he made when he made it. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, you look at the faces and uh, the reaction. Uh, it seems like no one, you know, it. It's everyone just kind of seems lost, and I don't know if you can survive this, Stefan. I'm not sure. We'll just have to find out, I suppose, won't we? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, if you if you if you're listening to this right now, I guess you'll know more than we will. But it just goes to show the kind of nature of the Bundesliga this season. I kind of made a remark before we started recording that you know of the of the, of the of that kind of hilarious kind of managerial carousel round merry go round during the summer. Um, the only ones that are working out right now are Marco Rosa. To an extent, yeah. I'm sure a lot of Dortmund fans aren't exactly over the moon about his. Uh, Even Glasner is kind of like a maybe. Sorry? Glasner's a maybe? Yeah, I mean, well, this is the thing. I kind of suggested that Glasner could be in trouble, and I've just, my mentions are now just full of Frankfurt fans, fury, certainly. So um, they seem to be fine with how he's doing. Um, but um, a lot of it's not wor- really working out right now. 
Um, and that could just be an indication of wider trends in the Bundesliga, where there's just a huge amount of instability. And it seems one team, are, it, there's no one consistent team, um, especially in that kind of mid-table point uh, part of the of the table. You know, and this is maybe my final point. You know who's kind of really worked out as a manager, and we've kind of not really talked about them at all, and they have sneakily snuck themselves up into fifth in the table. <laughs> Sebastian Hoeneß, yeah, at Hoffenheim. <laughs> Do you know? I actually watched that game, and uh, we haven't even spoke about it. Um, but you know, there's so much going on. It's like, <laughs> but yeah, I know you're right. But Sebastian Hoeneß, yeah, Leverkusen quietly, Leverkusen as well. Yeah, Leverkusen was probably the team that laughed the most about the Klassiker because still seven points to the very top, but they were probably hoping for a draw in that game because, you know, we all thought that after the, the Bayern result, they would collapse, and they briefly did, which is why it's seven points now. But they are certainly a top three team in this league. What they did to Fürth was just, it was filthy dirty. That 7-1 victory, four goals per shake. Have to mention that, um, yeah, Sione has worked out really well, and yeah. so Hunes and Sione, that's that's two changes. I think that like, oh, well, Hunes is now two years ago, so that doesn't really count. But you know what I mean, right? Like that's a coach who's on the up, and um, yeah, you know, clubs might be sniffing around. Svensson is another one, have yeah. a lot of time for him, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes for him. It'd be interesting to see what the league table looks like from last January with Svensson at Mainz and just how well they've done since then. If, if you know what I mean, like a, a, an overall league table. I think uh, they're in the top four. Yeah. If I'm not possibly. mistaken. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, we'll have to look that up. We'll come back to you about that. Um, I think we're out of time, yeah. Stefan. We'll save, we'll, save, we'll save this for the next Twitter space. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's so much going on. I think this winter is actually going to be really fascinating in terms of what a lot of these clubs are going to do. And despite the result, and I know a lot of people are resignating already, I don't think the title race is done either. No. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we go into the winter with there just being one point between the two teams. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with you. I wouldn't disagree with you. That's my Christmas prediction right there. But we'll see if I'm right. Uh, you guys can come all at me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I can handle it. <laughs> all right, man. I think that's it. Um, wrap, make it a wrap. We'll, we'll be back next week to discuss even more. And I think there's lots of interesting stuff happening. So um, we'll, we'll try to, if something major happens, we'll try to do a space. And um, until next week, everyone, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.